arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil in some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. Whoosh. Ocean. Whoosh. I'm outside. Put your ear <laughs> to the podcast. Can I you hear I the ocean a, waves? I wish I could do a seagull screech. I was going to try that, but I was like, let's not do it. <laughs> oh, that was great. Yes. <laughs> I don't okay, know. That sounded sound like something's being yeah. murdered. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, So welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Um, We've got some good summer vibes coming your way. Yeah, so many summer vibes. Some kind of summer vibe. (laughs) Um, But first, let's head over to the newsroom. This week, we are looking at a story out of New York. Uh, I think this is kind of important to talk about because it's coming out more and more. Um, but chat GPT. So, oh, so such a topic at school. Yeah. So <laughs> for the uninitiated, uh, platforms like chat GPT or Bard AI on Google um, are AI driven tools that are open to the public um to be used for pretty much whatever mm-hmm. um there are also ai art things like mid-journey which i'm sure it comes up a little bit more in your world as far as AI generated art both the art and um, the written portion oh yeah because <laughs> now people are talking about uh using chat gbt to write, write papers, papers for us specifically artist statements yes mm-hmm. um so this is definitely like a hot topic. Mm-hmm. There is was a case out of New York um, where a judge found that a filing was used uh, or was referencing legal cases that didn't exist. Turns out, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> turns out um, that the lawyer who prepared this brief. Uh, used chat GPT to formulate this brief for him, which because it's an AI, um, you know, and they put these disclaimers out there like this information may not be 100% accurate mm-hmm. um, because it was AI. It referenced like these non-existent <laughs> cases. Right. Yeah. So because it has to be taught things. Right. Yeah. It's a learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's machine learning. Right. And what you can do with chat GPT, for example, is, you know, place text, you know, copy and paste, say, a paragraph or something from a legal brief and mm-hmm. say, can you give me a summary of mm-hmm. what's in this? Or can you write me, you know, based on this text, can you write me X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Can you edit it to be 500 words instead yes. of the thousand words that it yeah. is currently? You can do that kind of stuff with mm-hmm. um, chat GPT. <clears throat> you can full on go in and be like, can you write me a paper on 7th century so France, 17th century France? We did like, this as an exercise for one of our graduate classes by taking out five to seven words or phrases to rewrite a artist statement. Mm-hmm. And it was horrible. Yeah. It was so bad. I'm like, how does anyone mistake this for real writing? Right. Because it's is bad. Yeah, it's like the uncanny valley of writing. It sounds. It sounds like a child just learning mm-hmm. how to write mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and that's the thing is like I feel like it's a good starting point maybe, but you need you really need to like heavily edit and read and and go back mm-hmm. and like look at all that stuff. Right. There's also been this response to Chat GPT where they're using AI to grade papers, and the AI mm-hmm. is worse at grading papers arguably than the AI is at creating them. Yeah. Um, where it's flagging stuff that is very clearly not, uh, not a problem. AI generated. Yeah. Um, but in this case, the original case involved, it was a man suing an airline over alleged personal industry in injury. The legal brief was submitted, cited these court cases. When the judge was looking through to look at what these court cases had to say, he's like, I can't find them. And then he went, this is from the BBC 
Uh, Judge Castle wrote that six of the submitted cases appear to be bogus judicial, judicial decisions with bogus quotes and bogus internal citations. Then it comes out that the attorney on the case actually had another attorney prepare it for him. And that attorney is the one who used ChatGPT, that the representing attorney was unaware of the tools that he was using to create the brief um, and that he regrets, you know, putting this in the hands of somebody who relied on the chatbot, essentially. Um, But it definitely brings this question of whether uh, chatbots or AI have a place in the legal system. This is not the first time I've heard of this being used like within a legal proceeding. There was a couple months ago a judge that used, I think, ChatGPT to aid in him writing an opinion. You know, it's kind of problematic a little bit. Yeah. I see better use in like creative fields. Yes. Uh, not like these very technical fields that you need to have accuracy and expertise. And expertise. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, it's like a learning. Uh, it's like teaching a child law, right? Like, yeah. And there was just a recently this past week of a professor falsely accused mm-hmm. his students of using chat GPT to write their papers. And it was because he put it through an automated system to check right. if it was false and it came back false and it wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. So. And there, there's always been a lot of panic around the introduction of AI in general, mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons, you know, I think on one end, people are more worried about replacing uh, the human element in workforces. Yeah. Uh, but on the other extreme end, you know, there's sort of the AI taking over humanity mm-hmm. thing that people are worried right. about. Terminator ourselves. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> now that um, things like ChatGPT and Bard AI have been out like for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversations that are happening are like, people don't actually need to be as worried because the AI is dumb as fuck. Like, oh yeah, it's so, it's so fucking obvious. Yeah. And like with the art aspect thing of it. Yeah. I'm so sorry to people who are out there who are digital artists, but mm. it all looks the same to me. It do- no, totally. It 100%. I've played around with Mid Journey quite a bit and like, some, I mean, it's cool. It is so cool. But like, literally like you would not be able to distinguish that from somebody who creates digital art as somebody who was a graphic designer like yeah it just looks undistinguishable and it's but it's like but what does that say about digital art in and of itself yeah right you know what i mean i mean art (laughs) art on a whole is Is there really an artist's hand if you are drawing and procreate listen because unless you create all of those drawing implements from scratch specifically for you someone else is drawing exactly yeah. yeah. <laughs> As so, an artist. <laughs> I just think like this. There's kind nothing of, to fear. No. And I think <laughs> that these kind of conversations are important because mm-hmm. this is now sort of like. But also it should be like there should be better. Like we should be creating AI to do better things. Like there is a meme that's been going around since all of this. Like why can't we create AI to clean up the plastic in the ocean? Yeah, right. Stuff like that. Like why can't we actually use it for real things? Yeah. Instead of trying to quote unquote replace human jobs. Yeah. Quote unquote. <laughs> I do really love uh, the content creators that mm-hmm. use AI to create like crochet patterns and then do the crochet pattern they'll be like yeah. make me a mickey mouse a crochet mickey mouse pattern it's funny. and then they put it together and it's like wonky as hell mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's my favorite so use of ai yeah don't use it for like serious stuff is basically what i'm yes. saying like any of the things that are already created that's not it's yeah. not it's for fun yeah. yeah emphasis on the fun for real yeah um anyway okay. off gonna, of our soapboxes we're gonna move on to netflix and kill this week is an hbo and kill Ooh. um because we are talking about how to create a sex scandal i literally just watched this yesterday and i really it's been <laughs> on there for a minute i think it mm. came out last year um did it yes i don't fucking remember anymore i don't remember it this is a wild story it you think it's one thing to and then it's not it harkens back a little bit to the Satanic Panic, yeah, and the know, McMartin preschool esque yeah. kinds of things, yeah. And it takes place in Texas, so it does. that's all you really need to know. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, um, and this started; to, it sort of begins in 2005. There is a town, a small town in Mineola, Texas, 
where first it was revealed that there was a swingers club in town. You do you, baby. As long Everybody as it's safe and consensual. knew where it was at. That was kind of a, a big thing. Um, but then a woman who is a foster, uh, this this uh, husband and wife who are foster parents, um, but specifically the woman was like sort of the ring leader of all of this. Yes. Um, come forward and say that some of the children they've been fostering have allegations of being forced to perform in the local swingers club. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vicky, they kept calling, they kept calling it a sex kindergarten. Yeah, and I can't not hear that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there were allegations that the children were being taken to train mm-hmm. at the sex kindergarten. <laughs> I just they um, said it so many times. I'm triggered by just the word kindergarten now. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know it's so just so weird. Out of you control. <laughs> put those two things together Mm -hmm. (laughs) um after they were finished they would go perform various duties at the swingers club and then so these allegations come forward there are arrests that are made of their biological parents Mm -hmm. um many of all of them are um convicted of various crimes the children were interviewed by a Texas Ranger with their foster mother in the room. Um, leading questions. Very yeah. leading questions. Oh, All of these very big staples of like child sexual abuse in the, during the satanic panic yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Like literally verbatim. And it's yeah. decades later. Yeah. You know? Um, then it sort of comes plot out. Twist. <laughs> There's this plot twist. Allegations of the foster mother being extremely abusive. And that the she, foster father and the, as well. Yes. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. foster father molesting uh, one of his foster kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they have denied these allegations, as we're saying, mm-hmm. and they have not been uh, charged with anything. Right. Mm-hmm. But it slowly comes out that these kids were perhaps coached to provide these answers in relation to the allegations about performing at the swingers club. Um, and the tables kind of turn. And now mm-hmm. this is maybe not the story that you thought it was. Um, there were allegations that many law enforcement officials were coercive members and, and members. members of the Swingers Club mm-hmm. and coercive to the children. Um, like, I mean, it's just a winding, crazy story. I honestly, so I had watched the Jared Fogel documentary and then watched this immediately after. And I was like, this is probably a terrible decision because like two heavy hitting documentaries about child sex crimes are like a lot. It's a lot. But this for your one. mental health. Yes. <laughs> but this one is like, because the story is so like just this web, it's like sucks you in in a different way. Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your thoughts on all of I just kept that. getting flashbacks to covering the McMartin trial and like the things really? that she was saying and the descriptions. I mean, they didn't overtly say like it was satanic, but there no. were definitely undertones of that. Mm-hmm. And the interviews with the children, like you could just see them. They were repeating things. Yeah. And the biggest twist is it was siblings. Mm-hmm. And two of the siblings have come out and said that we were coached and one of them has not. Yeah. Yeah. As I was gonna say, I so think on the whole conflict, I think that's the only person, only one that has not recanted because mm-hmm. all, the rest of the kids did one even recanted on the stand yes. mm-hmm. at trial, which was crazy. They mm-hmm. have, I think most of them since been reunited with their biological parents. Yeah. Um, many of which who are now out of prison. Yeah. Um, they spent one of the majority which, of their time in prison. One of yes. Them died. One of them died in prison and never got any sort of um, justice for himself. Mm-hmm. Like it's fucked up. Fucked up. I mean, that's all you can it's really fucked say. It's up. Fell, fucking fucked up. And so many <laughs> levels, like the child sex abuse at like, portion of this because is a lot up. of those kids, the injustice portion of this is super fucked up a lot like, of those kids who are in that foster sp- system yes. especially in texas are from families where they have experienced abuse sexual abuse their parents are addicts they mm-hmm. have been fucking neglected mm-hmm. it's not hard to take that trauma and kind of for lack of better words play with it or play yeah. upon it yeah and those kids, their parents were addicted to drugs. Those yeah. three children specifically I'm thinking about. Yes. And so they were taken away because of neglect, right? Yeah. Like they they had hardships. It's, I mean, 
yes, their parents didn't do a great job, but also, you know, it wasn't really their fault that they were addicted to those drugs. You know, they were in poverty. Mm -hmm. So it also goes off on a a nice tangent about the injustice as it relates to social status, especially in Texas. Yeah. You're talking about a small town, the woman who has all the money, who is fostering all these children, and the people who are absolutely objectively poor. Mm -hmm. And there is allegations of, like, all of these, because she fostered, like, 16 kids or something like that. I think she said she had 19 at one point, which is like, what the fuck? How is that even legal? There's allegations that part of it was because of the money that was coming in. um, Oh, yes, especially in certain states, you get paid so much money and you get tax credit. Yeah, and they talk about this aspect of getting more money for children who are viewed as more damn you know yes. damaged so quote children unquote, damaged. who have um, um physical disability who are um have neurodivergencies now as we would yeah, call them or yeah. students or students <laughs> there's my me at work yeah right <laughs> or children who have experienced abuse already the, mm-hmm. you get which is so disgusting but you get paid more yeah to deal with that yeah yeah so um, this is on Max. I would definitely say check it out. It's so weird having to say that now. Uh, I know. Max. I have to retrain my brain. <laughs> um, but I would definitely say check it out. It's very much. It's only like three episodes. So it's not very long. But um, it's just a wild story. You know, it's just I don't know, in a lot of ways. Check it out. <laughs> this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. This week, uh, we're talking about some creepy shit. Yeah, like something's like watching you, creepy. Yeah, yeah. Like, the beach yeah. sounds were meant to relax you. Yeah, summer vibes are be prepared. <laughs> summer vibes are like the easiest time to sock yeah. anyone. Yeah, because everyone's out walking around. You can be like, is this person That's enjoying true. the beach or are they fucking stalking me? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this one, at least on my part, is going to be a little shorter, but I think still very important. Um, we recently talked about um some issues around stalking in an episode a few episodes ago um and it was sort of like an entry into talking about stalking through another subject but i really wanted to kind of return and devote an entire aspect to uh stalking because stalking it up yeah yeah, it's a huge problem it's a massive problem huge problem especially i think we touched on it a little bit like in terms of like getting justice Mm. for People don't take it serious enough because more often than not, it turns into a hard crime. Yes. Usually murder. Yes. But also like arson. Yeah. Or theft. Yeah. Or like kidnapping. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, there's definitely, um, I mean, it's a, it's stalking is like this changing la- landscape too right now because right, technology and also like attitudes towards it yes. have changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start off with some pretty troubling statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are all from the Stalking Prevention Awareness and Re- uh, Resource Center, which is a great uh, resource for anything stalking related. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, how stalking resources. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not a how-to guide. Not a how-to, but yeah. A what-to-do guide. <laughs> so an estimated 13.5 million people are stalked in a one-year period in the United States. That one year. sounds about right. <laughs> Nearly one in three women and one in six men have experienced stalking victimization at some point in time. Uh, 69, this one I thought was really interesting. 69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, 60, not nice. No, not in this case. 69% of female and 80% of male stalking victims were threatened with physical harm. That, that's so interesting. 80% males and yes. 69 females? Yes. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. And I wonder why that is. Like, I wonder if it's just like female, like women are more likely to jump to that sort of threat maybe i don't know whereas like yeah i could see that i've definitely told people i'm gonna punch you in the face before so you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know this it just was an interesting thing and then uh the last one is more than twice as many victims are stalked with technology than without it's so easy now to stalk yeah. somebody just yeah. get on the facebooks yeah <laughs> and i mean with the use increasing Especially, use of like GP- yeah GPS tagging. Yeah, I was just gonna say, especially yeah. because we're tagging our locations all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which honestly, like, I love the GPS, like the air tags and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tile on my keys. Like, I kind of love that and I think it's really useful, but there are these other ways that they can be used to, like, very, cons- like, 
conspicuously inconspicuously putting them on cars or on in people's bags. We talked or like, about that in mine. Yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> the kind of thing that I'm like kind and of. That was back out. before an air tag existed. You had to go to a spy store, yeah. to buy that. Yeah, you get have to get Madam. like a magnetic little <laughs> yeah. box to put like a yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. You had to inspect your gadget, the shit out of this. Okay, <laughs> tape, lots of tape. Yes. <laughs> With all of that in mind, um, I wanted to look at the Eva Larue stocking case. Now, are you familiar with Miss Eva Larue? Her name sounds familiar. Okay, she is an actor. Actor, okay. uh, which we will talk about, but LaRue was born in Long Beach, California. She started her public career very early on in life. She first started acting at the age six in commercials. Um, she eventually went on to win Little Miss California in Aww. 1973 and Miss American Teenager in 1983. <laughs> that sounds not right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a few years later, LaRue appeared on Star Search. Oh, God. Does that My bring back? sister aspired <laughs> to be on Star Search. Okay. Like, way too much. Was that not, that wasn't your thing? No. I'm like, don't perceive me, you know? Don't perceive Just That's how I still am. Like, don't look True. at me. True. Until I tell you to look at me. <laughs> Uh, a few years later, Lou appeared on Star Search, and then she decided to change her focus from singing and dancing to acting. Okay. So um, a lot of times when that transition happens, you actually go through the modeling agency, like not the modeling agency, the modeling industry mm-hmm. first. So you kind of go from modeling to acting. That's kind of yeah. a lot a of trajectory. Pop, pop, mm-hmm. Pipeline. So after graduating high school in 1985, she began working with Judith Fontaine Agency and later Fredericks of Hollywood. Such an agency name. Mm-hmm. Judith Fontaine here. <laughs> right? Judith Fontaine, please hold. Uh, then LaRue began appearing in Zumba infomercials. Oh god, remember and those days? Sheer <laughs> cover studio mineral makeup. This sounds very QBC. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she has been, during her modeling career, featured on the cover of numerous magazines, including LA Direct, Viv Mag, Orange Coast, InStyle Weddings, Woman's World, and Latina. LaRue's start on television happened when she became the co-host and announcer on Candid Camera uh-huh. alongside Dom DeLuise. It's probably why I remember the name, Candid Camera. <laughs> oh, Dom DeLuise, yeah. what? A throwback. (laughs) She was there from 1991 to 92. Uh, She then set her sights on the soap opera game Mm -hmm. when she portrayed Dr. Maria Santos Gray on All My Children. Mm -hmm. She was there from 1993 to 97, returned from 2002 to 2005. Um, She did get a Daytime Emmy nomination for her role in All My Children. Oh, okay. And then in 2005, LaRue appeared on the George Lopez show for an episode. It's like his long lost sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she landed the role that I think she's probably most known for, which is Natalia Boavista on CSI Miami. Okay. I did not watch CSI Miami. No, CSI Vegas. I didn't OG really do CSI. CSI Vegas is the best one. Much. I was that might be more a hot take, of a law and order head. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Fair, Specifically fair. SVU. Yeah. Olivia Benson, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Things in both LaRue's personal and professional life were going really well. That is until 2007 when a stranger started a campaign of harassment that would last 12 years. Who has the time? That's what I want to know. Are they unemployed? Because that's a full-time commitment. Nope. He got a job. Yikes. Yeah. Tell well, me at least more. at the time. Um, <laughs> most of the... Hard next... to be employed now after you are a no well, stalker. I mean, but... <laughs> at least when he was, like, arrested later, he yeah. got a job. Maybe he wasn't employed the entire time. Okay. I haven't seen his resume, mm-hmm. but... Um, <laughs> you should definitely yeah. email I need him in jail. Yeah. <laughs> so... I need your CV, sir. <laughs> um, what is this gap here for 12 years? Oh, so stalking? Oh. Uh, uh, I was exploring uh, different avenues. Community outreach. (laughs) Avenues to stalk this woman. Oh, my God. (laughs) So most of the next chunk of my research comes direct from the sentencing memo. Starting in 2007, a man named James David Rogers started becoming obsessed with LaRue and somehow managed to find her address 
Rogers then began send- sending threatening letters to LaRue, signing each one as Freddy Krueger. Oh, God. The original. <laughs> In 2007 alone, Rogers sent LaRue 11 letters. One from just before Mother's Day that year said, quote, the previous Mother's Day may be your last. I have been thinking how I am going to rape and kill you and your daughter. Maybe I must go to see you in Los Angeles. Okay, when I think of stalking, I think of like, I am in love with you and you don't like me. Now I'm going to murder you. But this is the flip floppiness. And it was not like. It was not like an acceleration to this. It was yeah, it was this outrightly. I think you look like someone I need to murder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, a lot of the threats include threats of rape and murder. I'm not going to read those out over right. and over we again. Don't need to rehash. Them. Yeah, there'll be other stuff that I'll read, but I was like, I'm not going to read this like 20 times. Mm-hmm. I don't need that in my life, and neither do you. So right, exactly. We want you to go to bed tonight. <laughs> Maybe. We want you to have full eight hours. It's most of the time. For yeah. mental health. <laughs> the sentencing memo talks of another letter from the same year where, quote, defendant said he planned to rape victim one and her daughter and then kill you both and chop your bodies into small pieces. I'm going to enjoy killing you. I hate you and I will destroy you. I want you to die, bitch, a most horrible death. That, I think, is my last reference. Um, so it's like intense shit i mean these are anonymous letters coming to her house with just like horrible threats her daughter at the time that all of this starts is five years old the fact that like a five-year-old someone's like yeah that's chill let's do that yeah yeah um it gets worse i can understand if you don't like kids but like have you ever seen this child have you ever met this child you don't know who this child is and you're like i'm gonna kill him yeah unless they're stalking the kid too but yeah yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, with yeah. her, she's right, famous, right? right? Not many people are taking pictures, you know, paparazzi pictures of children that are on, yeah, you know, syndicated television shows. Yeah, it's not yeah. that kind of level of, of excessiveness. R- right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 2008, the letters continued with another 19 being sent. So 11, 2007, 19, 2008. Um, this is where chat GPT will come in. <laughs> Write me a threatening letter. A threatening letter to a TV star God. and her five-year-old child. <laughs> this time, um, they were addressed not only to LaRue, but to her partner at the time, um, as well as her daughter. The threats continued to be violent and indeed meant to terrify and intimidate. Um, with one saying, quote, maybe if we meet, I won't hurt your boyfriend and daughter. I will see you soon. Another read, I am enjoying stalking you. I'm going to instill fear in every part of your life. Whoa. Again, from the sentencing memo, Rogers, quote, also made clear that his threats were founded in his genuine intent to act. He wrote, he wrote to LaRue, you should take me seriously. I can do a great deal of damage to you and your precious daughter. I would think you would want to stop me for your daughter's safety if I ever get a hold of over her you will be destroyed you should be very scared of me um and then he goes on again to make threats of rape and murder the fact that they were like he is literally saying right here like you should believe the what i'm telling you mm-hmm. you should believe me like is very clear intent to to act obviously as the letters continued in increasing uh numbers and threats LaRue became incredibly fearful. Um, She began taking meandering routes to her house, made plans about uh, how and where to quickly get help if anything were to happen. So sad. Um, You have to be the proactive one. That's like so fucked up. Yeah. And they started keeping weapons like handy in various places of the house. That's always a good idea. I do that. Right. In my bag, in my car, in my home. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She did move out of the country for a certain period of time and was in Europe for like a few months in, in hopes of like, some distance some distance and yeah. trying to you know she did make some attempts attempts to change or hide their mailing address mm-hmm. in order to sort of get a p.o box yeah yeah this is where the p.o box comes in true. handy true <laughs> obviously this is all for for their protection but um each time rogers was able to find out where they were uh what the new address was what the new information was and That's continued so to send letters yeah yeah so Rogers had started sending letters to LaRue's daughter's school 
with horrific threats, still identifying himself as Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. And all of this pretty much goes on until 2019. I mean, 12 years of endless harassment. And that's like, you know, you're changing like technology and they're still <laughs> sending like mailed letters, you yes. know? Yeah. So it's this. And the thing is, too, I will say, like, obviously, by this point, she has contacted authorities. They're aware this is going on. There is only so much without knowing who this person is. Like, there is obviously so much they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been, you know, keeping some of the evidence of the letters and stuff up until this point. But, like, they really didn't have any leads on, like, who could be doing this. Um, so things really reached their peak just weeks before Rogers was arrested. Um, not only is he sending letters to the school, but Rogers started calling the school and posing as LaRue's daughter's father. Oh, God. Um, again, from the sentencing memo, quote, he asked a school administrative assistant to confirm LaRue's daughter was present at school that day and asked to speak with her. Before her daughter could get back on the phone, Rogers instructed the administrative assistant to have her daughter call him back and hung up the phone. End quote. So then LaRue gets this call from her daughter uh, shortly after. That's like, hey, I think dad just called. You know, Mm -hmm. do you know what's up? And so LaRue calls the actual father of her child and confirms that he had not, in fact, called the school. Um, Rogers then called another two times on other days, leaving a voice and, and then eventually left a voicemail at the school containing threats of rape and murder. In total, Rogers called the school 18 times in the span of like How a couple can they weeks. not track his phone number from that? Like they should be able to tell, okay, like this is a problem now. We should have someone here to track this phone number. Yeah. Yeah. So flash forward a little bit to 2018. If you remember at this time, there was this huge genealogy boom. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you also recall that 2018 was the same year that James D'Angelo, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer, was finally arrested thanks to these advancements in DNA and specifically genetic uh, DNA testing. So the FBI was quick to utilize that tech in this case running DNA that they had collected from the envelopes that they had been collecting, running it through a database, which allowed them to identify a list of potential relatives. This led them to somebody in Ohio. Mm. Of course it would be Ohio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know every time we see Ohio, I'm just like, oh. you know, <laughs> uh, so they began surveilling Rogers Uh, who at the time was working as a nurse's assistant in an assisted living facility. That's how he has all the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm like, no, he's got a job. but That he probably barely has to do. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) After work one day, Rogers stopped at an Arby's for food. And then stalkers love the meats. He threw his trash away and he left. And mm-hmm. the FBI agents that had been surveilling him sw- get those curly fries swooped <laughs> in. Um, they managed to obtain a DNA sample from a straw that nice. he had used, and they were able to match that DNA sample with the one that they had collected from the envelopes. So the genetic DNA match alone is not enough to get anybody on anything Mm -hmm. you have to get a sample from your suspect to match to the dna that you have existing already for that to like Mm -hmm. be able to hold up exactly what they do with the golden state killer they tracked him down and went in his garbage and got stuff (laughs) because realistically like genetic testing is great for this kind of thing but like it is a tool right it's not the evidence and also the court system hasn't caught up enough to be like oh you know, that genetic connection is enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the FBI finally arrests Rogers on November 11th, 2019. When they searched his home, they found a cell phone containing a bunch of pictures of LaRue and her daughter. They were able to determine that the cell phone had the same number that was calling the school. Um, And although they're, they couldn't figure that out earlier. Girl, I don't know. There is literally caller ID on, like, every fucking phone. And it's entire because this, like, him calling the school happened around the same time that they were surveilling him and getting his 
DNA sample. So like it's possible that they had to wait on those tests to come back before they could mm-hmm. even get a search warrant. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I get what you're saying. Like it shouldn't be that hard to like <laughs> you don't even have to do this with yeah. DNA. Like there's so many other ways you can figure this out. I know. I know. Um <laughs> so they found this phone. Um, when they found the phone, there weren't any recent calls on the phone list, but they were able to determine that the call history had been deleted Obby. prior to <laughs> the FBI getting possession of it. Mm-hmm. In April 2020, Rogers pleaded guilty to two counts of mailing threatening communications, one count of threats by interstate communications, and two counts of stalking. Uh, now, according to that line at the sentencing hearing, quote, Rogers, federal public defense attorney, Wasim Salahi told the court that his client suffers from psychiatric instability, including repressed gender dysphoria, and that people do irrational things when they're mentally ill. I'm sorry. Repressed gender what? (laughs) Repressed gender dysphoria. Yeah. I was like, yo, like that. Yo, (laughs) that's a kind of problematic um in a lot of ways in so many ways in a lot of ways um also whatever i <laughs> i can't with that right now yep. um, yeah but that was a, <laughs> yeah right that was that was according to the public defense attorney um slahi asked that the court impose a non-custodial custodial sentence of home confinement and court mandated health treatment LaRue, of course, gave an impact statement um, at the hearing saying that she had been undergoing therapy to deal with her fears, but, quote, we still think about him for a lifetime. The fear is with me forever, end quote. At the time, Rogers gave his statement via Zoom, uh, apologizing for his actions and, quote, for what I said to you for the past 12 years and putting your family through this hellish nightmare. I hope someday I can earn your forgiveness for my misdeeds. I wish someone had intervened much sooner and I was caught much sooner, end quote. Just rolling my eyes. You can't hear it, but they're yeah. rolling hard. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst statement I've heard, but not the mm-hmm. best. He, at least in his statement, acknowledges that he did something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's still very much like, well, it's your guys' fault for not catching me, which yeah. is kind of bullshit. But also, like, <sighs> how many other people have done that? Right. Zodiac killer. Right. <laughs> Literally Golden State killer. Like, all of the heavy hitters are like, yeah. why aren't you catching me? I'm BTK. <laughs> like, right. You know? Right. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately, the judge gave Rogers a sentence of 40 months in prison and three years supervised release. Uh, Rogers surrendered to a federal prison in Ohio on October 12th, 2022. I know that sentence seems super light, light, very light. Yeah. But that is the uh, story of Eva LaRue and her soccer. Well, nobody died. Nobody died, but like that shit is. I can't say the same scary. for my case. Yeah, that is scary enough that you could die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. For my case, we are going to go into the pages of Playboy, Vicky. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. I didn't realize this is going to be such a saucy episode. Oh, my God. So saucy. So much soft lighting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, since Hugh Hefner has passed... Mm. Um, There have been a shit ton of stories coming out about all the problematic things surrounding Playboy, not just the magazine, but things that have occurred at the mansion and other Playboy-related businesses. Not surprised. I want to say businesses because maybe not everyone's aware that it's not just a magazine Mm -hmm. or a club. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you just like the shortest history of Playboy you've ever had. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) Playboy started as a magazine in 1953 and by the 60s it had turned into Playboy Enterprises. This included many other businesses outside of the magazine. Of course, you have the classic Playboy clubs where sure. we have all of the beautiful women in silky bunny costumes. Yeah. 
These were open from 1960 to 1986, so a decent amount of time. Um, There were Playboy hotels and casinos, and those ran from the late 70s into the early 80s as well. Which I don't know if you were. I don't know that that I knew they had hotels. So they had hotels. They were exclusive hotels. There were only a few casinos. Most like most of the hotels were like in tropical locations, like the Bahamas. They had a casino once upon a time in Las Vegas. Gotcha. gotcha. Very classic. No, didn't know that. They also started doing Playboy celebrity parties when the magazine sales started to dip down. Mm -hmm. What they would do is there was one main mansion, right? The Playboy Mansion. Right. But they would kind of rent out other famous mansions and also say that you were going to the mansion. And really, you were being sent to, like, some secondhand mansion in another place. Right. With a grotto still. Yeah. And Playboy bunnies and other celebrities. So they were, like, outsourcing the (sighs) mansion parties to other areas to make it more enticing and accessible. Okay. So there were tiers of mansion parties you could go to. Oh, my God. And if you made it, you made it to the main mansion where Hugh Hefner lived. Oh, my God. Um, Now, the internet hit the magazine pretty hard um, because, you know... Free porn. Exactly. I'm not going to pay for this. No. It's it's all about the editorial. It's for the articles anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Until they started doing internet content. So internet only clubs, exclusive videos, um, VHS tapes, behind the scenes of photo shoots. Yeah. They also released Playboy TV, which is a premium channel. But one thing that they did in the 90s that was super popular that was really like i when i think of the 90s this is one thing that i think of was a phone line okay you know this yeah 1-800 numbers 1-900 numbers so they had a 1-900 number which if you're not familiar of what the difference between a 1-800 and a 1-900 is Mm. the nine means you pay more yeah (laughs) 1-800 is toll free yes 1-900 is Toll expensive. Yes. They're <laughs> called premium lines. Yes. There was one nine hundred and one nine seven seven or something. Those were like oh. the very expensive, a very, very expensive. The more lines. numbers it has, the more expensive the that more number money is. You pay. Oh my god. So Playboy would hire some of the playmates and other non-playmate women like aspirational bunnies <laughs> to work these telephone lines. Now, one of them was Stacy Arthur. Stacy Arthur was actually born in 1968 in Naperville, Illinois. So she's oh. from Illinois. Okay. Um, she moved to Ohio at 19. In 1988, she managed a craft store in Bellefontaine, Ohio. And this is when she started dating a man named James Arthur. Um, he was 34 and she was 19. Not problematic at all. Mm. <laughs> He owned a tanning salon in the I same mean, building. It's at least it's legal, I guess. Yes, I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah. He owned a tanning salon in the same building as her craft store. And so they were just, you know, shooting the shit, got along. Now, previous to this, he also was married and divorced and had children. She actually also was married and had a child and divorced by 19. Wow. Living that hard Ohio life. You okay. know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now like immediately upon meeting and hanging out they got married very quickly like within months oh my goodness on june 4th 1988 they got married they brought their kids together so he had three kids from a previous marriage she had one daughter so all together they had four kids um stacy actually wound up adopting um his children in 1989 after they married, Stacy wanted to pursue pageants and modeling. While she was in Ohio, she participated in the Miss Ohio competition and won. Oh. So she was Miss Ohio 1990. Okay. Um, this opened the door for her to start doing other things and eventually being asked to be in Playboy. Of course. In December of 1990, Stacy went to the then USSR, so Russia, to compete in the Mrs. America pageant. That's for married women. <laughs> Oh my god it's like an offshoot it's very funny yeah and does not exist anymore no 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 that yeah. was like very like that's not... a very of the time yes thing stacy placed in the top 10 of the competition and while she was there playboy contacted her and she agreed and then it was announced that she would be playmate of the month for january of 1991 oh, nice so stacy was chosen to be the month of january in 1991 and in the actual like cover, 
She did her like traditional nude pictorial centerfold, but on the cover, she was in a pageant style banner sash of with the crown and the curly hair and the very like I'm late 80s, early 90s pageant queen. And the banner sash on her said Miss January 1991. Yeah. So they kind of played into that a little bit. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can totally just like yes, you can picture that. I'm not kidding when I head. say the soft yeah. lighting. Like they like airbrushed everything. Yeah. Um <laughs> Satin sashes. Oh my god. Now, immediately after her centerfold debut, Stacey Arthur began working at the 1900 number hotline to earn extra cash. She was interested in pursuing country music now, and so she wanted to make enough money to cut a demo. So that was kind of her goal. Okay. Now, people who called into this line, they called them fans. Um, they paid $3 a minute. Okay, so do the math on that. Three, wait, $3 a minute? A minute. So for a 10-minute phone call, that's 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Damn. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And the women made about $50 an hour to speak with all of these callers. So that's not, that's not a bad exchange, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the women on the lines were told to be really cordial, talkative, be sweet, but not too engaging. Don't talk about anything sexual, so no phone sex, and do not divulge personal information. Right? Okay. I could follow those rules. Easy. So wait, this is not a phone sex line? No. So. I don't understand what it is then. This was designed so that you could be closer to a Playboy bunny. So it's literally like when you call a psychic hotline and you're talking to that person about your problems. Yeah. It's like phone a friend. You know, like it's you're talking to them as a person to get to yes, it's companionship. You are not allowed to talk about sex and be sexual. And gotcha, it's not gotcha. that way. That's not to say that people didn't do it, but most people didn't okay. because you didn't have to. And of course, men tried really hard to do yes. that. Yeah, and so it was against the rules. Yeah. But one thing that Playboy did back then that they no longer do because of this oh God. was they would have a fun facts sheet that was put with each centerfold's issue in their own handwriting. So they would like handwrite information about themselves. So obviously oh. their measurements, yuck. Where they grew up, like all of this detailed information that a stalker would love to get their hands on. Right. <laughs> right there of at course. their fingertips, right? Of course. It made stalking so much easier but also it became a jumping off point so if you worked in the 1900 you could kind of be like oh yeah this information about yourself you really enjoy skiing or whatever let's talk about that so it kind of gave like pathways to have discussions as well okay now one particular individual that kept calling the phone line was james Lindbergh. he was a 32 year old man who was like the top caller for the 1900 number for years frequent flyer huh yes oh boy he spent fifteen thousand dollars annually on his phone oh my gosh now Lindbergh was a truck driver and although he made decent money he was spending almost all of his paycheck on calling the 1-900 number yo that's a problem yeah that's what we call a problem bro (laughs) (laughs) Lindbergh would talk to many of the playmates and most of them recalled he had no sense of humor he was like dry a little creepy was very like factual he sounded like he had some like neurodivergencies like if someone made jokes he would get really uncomfortable Mm. he wanted to talk about their fact sheets so he would bring up their centerfold fact information and like be very like you like this blah 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 like okay as much as an emotional connection as he could have without being like like fun or silly it was very like serious which i don't think would necessarily be that out of the ordinary because like the the people and the men who are calling these hotlines tend to be people who maybe do not do well with women in the real life yes, or not as conversational socially, socially like awkward, awkward anxiety yeah. ridden, that sort of thing yeah so this might not have been like that strange either right now Lindbergh was one of the callers that would spend a lot of time with stacy arthur and previously there was no time limits for when a person called they would let i mean as long as the conversation went is how long you would go but because he was spending hours like up to eight 
hours on the phone with her in a day. Yeah. They implemented 10-minute call time limits, <laughs> which infuriated him. I could see, but homegirls got to go to the bathroom at some right? point. And, like, so eat. he would have to like hang up and call back at a later time. He could literally only talk to her in 10-minute intervals. Wow. And it was an automated phone line system yeah. to where you were automatically just put with somebody. You could make a request, but you might not get that request. Yeah. So James Lindbergh began to think that he was in this deep, connective relationship with Stacey Arthur. He would call and speak to her like they were together as a couple. Although he knew that she was married and he, like, they had kids and they were together, he would fantasize about her and about the lives that they could have together. Oh my gosh. One day he got mad at her for not reacting to something that he had mentioned in a phone call, and he stopped calling her for a few days. Then he's probably like fine. Yeah. <laughs> then he sent a 70 bunch balloon to the office to where she was to apologize for not calling her and being mad. Okay, now this is getting weird. Mm-hmm. This is very weird. She then called him, looked up his number, and called him and apologized to him. And then they went back to their daily talking. This is all weird. It's very weird. I like that. Very creepy vibes. Yes. In late September of 1991, James suddenly stopped calling her altogether. Stacy sought him out and called him again and asked James if he was okay. Now, this was a really interesting behavior. And this is actually in, um, there's a new documentary series about Playboy and all of the crimes related to it that you can, Ooh, you can watch. And this is where check I that out. picked up on, I forget the name of it, but it covers like, there's like four different Playboy related cases. Oh my gosh. Two of them are stalking. Yeah. Not surprised. <laughs> Lots of stalking heavy. Yeah. But her case was covered in one of the episodes. And they interviewed women that worked with her at the 1900 number. And they would say that she was this just so caring about everybody not just you know it seemed like she was being overtly caring about him on the phone call but she was very concerned for his mental health yeah and she raised that question to her supervisor being like you know he seems like he's like desperate and extremely lonely and i'm concerned for him and she was also that way with her coworkers. so this wasn't something that was actually out of the ordinary now reading it as a person like if you've never if you didn't know her and this story is very like you know short yeah to be perfectly yeah. honest yeah, yeah you might not understand like that's the kind of personality that she had it was that she was like deeply concerned about people and really was a very, very nice person. Yeah. Well, I'd, again, I don't think it's uncommon for, mm-hmm. like, these people who are regulars to something. I mean, I'm not even talking, like, like a phone line, but just in general. Mm-hmm. You get to know your regulars. And, yeah. like, when they don't show up, you automatically assume something could be horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? We had a... When I worked at Starbucks, we yeah. had a woman who had come through the drive-thru who was a hoarder. Like, mm-hmm. her car was filled with mail and trash and all that was open was her seat. Mm-hmm. And one day she stopped showing up because she was a daily, yeah. seven days a week person. Yeah. And we didn't see her for, like, two weeks. And then she came through and her car was completely cleared out. And we were like... She's like, I'm going to therapy. And hey, I was like, nice. Like almost cried, right? Yeah. Of course, slowly her car started to fill back up a little bit, but like she went away to get help. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like there's hopeful things like that. Right. That could right. Yeah, it's not <laughs> always bad, but. But you know, she, like, Stacey Arthur feared for the worst. Like yeah. something happened to him. He's a daily caller. Mm-hmm. Now, when she called him, he said he was okay. And then. There was this little bit of an exchange that happened. <laughs> now, Stacy went out to California to go do a Playboy shoot at the Playboy Mansion out there. Okay. And James asked if he could meet up with her when she was out in California. Oh, He's like, no. we made up. You're going to be kind of in the area. Let's see each other. Ugh. Now, she actually agreed. No. She said yes. No, yes. no, 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 no. But once she got there, she was so busy that she couldn't make the date. Uh Uh-oh. Now, this caused James Lindbergh to go off the handle. She did say, like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so late. Like, my shoot went hours. I'm really tired. I'm going to grab something to eat and go to sleep. I'll call you later, right? He did not like this. And so she attempted to remedy it, and he refused. And so she went back home. And 
this is when he began to stalk her and seek her out and find out where she was so that he could meet her in real life. Oh, God. He called the hotline and Stacy told him that she could not talk to him. She had to leave. And she then later left him a message saying, I think we need to take a little break apart. I'm having a lot of stress. Yeah. You know, like, um, this is starting to feel a little uncomfortable because he was being so pushy. And the way that he reacted when she couldn't meet him made her uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is she wasn't like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. She's like, I think we need to have a little break just for our own, mm, you know, God. mental health. Yeah. Um, then Stacy Arthur stopped working at the call center. Okay. He tried Had to... Had she been calling him on her, like, personal line? No. Oh, no. Okay. It was from... Only from the Playboy 1900 number. Okay, okay. So he tried to call other playmates on the line to get information to no avail. Um, but he knew where she lived because they've talked about it repeatedly. And so he got on a train to oh, Ohio. Gosh. It's always Ohio, man. Mm -hmm. He checked into a hotel in Bellefontaine, Ohio, where he stayed for a few days. He bought Stacy gifts at a gift shop and then figured out where her husband was working because he, she had mentioned he owned a tanning salon. Not that many tanning salons in Bellefontaine, Ohio. I can imagine. <laughs> now, he thought that maybe she would be there. So he showed up and instead ran into her husband and then was very awkward and said, these are for Stacy. Could you please give them to her? I'm James, the one she's been talking to. The awkward thing is her husband is also named James. So these are both Men named James. So it's a little confusing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's He's like, so... hey, James. Oh, hey, James. I'm James, yeah. too. You know, like, ooh. <laughs> but also, like, oh, God, giving it to her husband is yeah. very cringe. He then, after giving the gifts, um, Stacy's husband was, like, taken aback. And he's, like, responding to this, um, she doesn't want these. <laughs> and so... James Lindbergh became horribly upset, yelled at Stacey Arthur's husband, threatened violence against him, oh, God. and then stormed off. Her husband threw the gifts away. Of course. James Arthur then went into his tanning salon and told the employees of the store, if you see this man come back, call the police. Be on the lookout for him because he is looking for my wife and... There's gonna, something's gonna happen. Yeah. And boy, was he fucking right. Oh, no. Sometime later that day, James Arthur was bringing out tanning bed inventory to his vehicle when three shots rang out. James Lindbergh shot Stacy Arthur's husband, James Arthur, point blank in the street. James Lindbergh then took off. The police were immediately called and notified that it was James Lindbergh who had shot James Arthur. A few hours later, they located Lindbergh's car parked on a street. When they approached the vehicle, they found him slumped over in the driver's side. He had shot himself in the head in his vehicle. Oh, my. Wow. When searching his place after the crime was committed, they came across a cache of tapes recording every conversation he ever had with Stacey Arthur. Yo. He had basically created a small shrine to her in his living quarters and recorded everything that they said together. None of that surprises me. Um, which he would replay when he wasn't able to talk to her oh, on the phone. Oh, gosh. Oh, God. That makes me so uncomfortable. This all makes me so uncomfortable. Yes. And I wanted to pick this story because it's such a fucking plot twist because you think he's going to kill her. Yeah. But he kills her husband yeah. instead. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, ugh. Definitely did not see that coming. No. In 1992, shortly after the death of her husband, Stacey Arthur actually sued Playboy. Wow. Now, this is actually in relation to something that had happened to her when she was shooting a video at the Playboy Mansion. But oh. it also included... This, this issue of her husband's murder. Yeah. She alleged that in 1991, a few months prior, she was drugged and raped by a butler and two security guards at the Playboy Mansion while at her shoot. Oh, my gosh. This became a $70 million lawsuit. And during the trial, she stated that Playboy was also responsible for her husband's death because they failed to um, stop this man from repeatedly calling the 1-900 hotline. Interesting. Okay. The employees that she alleged raped her claimed that the sexual activity was consensual. Uh, always, you know, that's the go-to. Um, the lawsuit was unfortunately dismissed and she never refiled. The employees mm. were fired because 
it was because quote it was against the rules to engage in sexual activity during work hours but that sounds highly suspicious to me hold on a second i Mm -hmm. think i missed something so they what how do hold on a second i I think i missed something okay so so she she went to the mansion in california to do a shoot while she was there a butler and two security guards working there she alleges drugged and rape her raped her at the premise right so they got now she immediately told playboy after it happened yes okay after it happened this is all put on like hushed up yeah she didn't know this but they were fired for having for this is for quote having sex while at work oh and this was brought out in the trial that's okay that's so stupid i mean i'm Mm -hmm. glad that they were fired but like but this happened across the board oh my god this happened so much that like hugh hefner was known to do everything in his power to squash any and every single issue illegal issue that came up against the playboy name and this shit was happening all over the place yeah there are account there was a documentary that holly madison did i don't know if you remember holly madison um about all of these stories where she invited playboy playmates to talk about all of the horrible fucking things that happened to them while they were working for playboy and almost half if not more were women who had been drugged or just straight up raped and they would come to uh, you know, like at the club, it was they'd go to the mother bunny and they'd be like, do you want to lose your job? God. So it started as that. And then it was, we'll just handle this in house where they yeah. would fire the person or they would move the Playboy wow. bunny to a different area yeah. or have them do a separate job. Never, ever admitting to anything actually ever being wrong, making people sign NDAs, like all of these things. Yeah. Because they didn't want the name to be tarnished. Yeah. Uh, and so... In the same vein of that, they fired these three individuals and used, you know, kind of a, I perceive a false statement of why they were fired, because I do believe that she was drugged and raped because that was extremely common. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were known to put women in horrible things. So those celebrity parties that I mentioned before would eventually turn into for lack of better terms, prostitution. Uh, they were basically having these men pay for dates with these Playboy bunnies at ugh, mansions. That's gross. And were essentially forced to have sex. Yeah. So all of the properties that Playboy has owned since the magazine's creation in 1953, I shit you not, have had some legal problem happen there. Yeah. Um, Stacy Arthur did her due diligence and she went to the magazine and told them what happened and they did nothing to protect her. And they actually instead, after she had raised these allegations, like right when her husband was dying, Mm -hmm. they fired her from playboy. So she quit, she quit the phone line for her safety and they fired her because she was causing a ruckus. Wow. Because she's like, all these things happen. This guy's fucking stalking me. Now he's killed my husband. Right. And you put me in danger previously. Like, you're liable. This is what led her to the lawsuit. Yeah. Now, according to the court documents, the prosecutor stated that there was some inconsistencies in her recollection of the events, which is what led them to believing that she was not being truthful. <sighs> you know, That's CC, so frustrating because, yeah. like... Memory, I mean, obviously at that time, they, I think, were not as knowledgeable about it. But, like, memory mm-hmm. is such a weird thing. Yeah, especially um, when you're traumatized. Yes. Yeah. So, like, some inconsistencies are not necessarily, like, a sign that something is amiss. Mm-hmm. Because every time you remember it, you're slightly changing something or, you and know. And then when you're under duress to yeah. be asked what happened. Yeah. You're just going to say it as quickly as you can. Yeah. So, she lost the suit. Um, And basically after that, she went into hiding and kept to herself. So she was no longer in the spotlight. She didn't pursue music after this as she wanted to. And um, following a brief illness, Stacey Arthur died in April of Mm. 2019. So that is the stalking case of Stacey Arthur. Well, twist. They didn't kill her. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I guess uh, check out this podcast. <laughs> boycott Playboy and listen to this instead. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> you hard, go. Not hard there to do. Go. Not hard to boycott yeah, right. Playboy. Right. 
My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. At Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Man, do you remember like when we were, I wouldn't say kids, but like maybe teenagers when they had the Playboy Bunny like tanning tattoo things? You oh, could God, do? yeah. I had so many friends do that. That was like from age 13 and like, up. Why? I mean, tanning tattoos are funny, but like a Playboy Bunny on your I hip, know. like get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Looking back, there's some shit that I'm like, wow, that oh, was man, the incredibly was inappropriate. But cringe. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whether it be emo, punk, or just a normal girl, you know, cringe, 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 cringe. True. <laughs> True. All right. That has been our episode. Our cringe-worthy um, episode. <laughs> very cringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got an event coming up in November. If we have more information, we'll let you know. That's what we got. I'll hit you back. Yeah. On the flippy flop, as the kids say. No, no one kid, No, no one says that. No kids old say people that. say that yeah, to make I'm kids old. cringe. <laughs> uh, do you have anything before we close out? Don't stalk people. Don't. Stalking is bad. Yeah. And also, if, if you, you feel, feel the urge to stalk, <laughs> if you feel something is amiss, you need to let somebody know. Yes. On the other end of things. Even um, if you're like, this might be stalking. This might be light stalking. Yeah. Let Figure the authorities out. know. Mm-hmm. I'm hire a pi no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well stalk the stalker that's what i say <laughs> stalk them back yeah no, how do you do like it huh they followed you here's the pictures <laughs> on that note our <laughs> sound and editing is by tip fullman our music is by jason zashevsky the enigma <laughs> this has been the bad taste crime podcast we will see you in two weeks uh, goodbye. Bye.